This paid commercial may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Radio 1500 AM, proudly celebrating 13 years. Today's episode brings you machine learning and artificial intelligence in government. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with machine learning and artificial intelligence strategies in the federal government. With me on today's show are William T. Roberts, we'll call you Buzz. Uh, Lead Analytics for Automation Research Directorate, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA. Frank Indiviglio, Acting Deputy Director, High Performance Computing and Communications, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. Uh, Dr. John Beeler, Program Manager, Intelligence, Advanced Research Projects Activity, IARPA, Office of the Director of National Intelligence, ODNI. Bob Armstrong, Chief Technology Officer, ServiceNow Federal. And Tyler Muth, Analytics Architect at Spelunk. Well, this is a big subject. I think we're all familiar with what happened with Watson and the famous chess match. Uh, some of you may or may not know of a, of a, a game called Go uh, that is widely uh, played over in Europe and across the East, played by millions of folks. Uh, there was an anticipation that a machine could not beat the top Go player uh, for at least 25 years, if ever. Uh, program was put together called AlphaGo, uh, beat the top Go player handedly uh, first time out. I understand now that uh, the program is capable of actually beating the top 50 players simultaneously. So we know where this is going, right? Um, we have natural learning, uh, processing, deep learning, all kinds of activities, acquisition issues, skills issues, data bias issues, a whole host of issues that get rolled into this emerging and very rapid and important technology. So let's start with you, Buzz, uh, over at the NGA. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in regards to machine learning and AI at the NGA. Uh, thanks, Luke. So from our perspective, our challenge is um, a bit harder than Go, I would argue. Sure. One, um, most of our issues, uh, unlike Go, are uh, an open-ended issue. Go has a specific objective with a specific number of moves and a specific bounded um, region it plays in. We have global responsibilities, so our challenge is fundamentally to master the deluge of data, sift through that data and information as quickly as we can and increase the accuracy, pedigree, and quality of those results. So we're organized in several different fashions and in several different ways in terms of uh, getting clarity of our objectives, both operationally, clarity of our objectives technically, and understanding that we pay what I'll call our debt in three areas. Our, the technical debt of understanding the advanced methods, the debt of understanding our data, and the data that we get directly and the data that we get indirectly through partnerships and uh, understanding our domain. From a geospatial intelligence perspective, many people don't understand or grasp that we actually do have a worldwide open mission to provide safety of navigation uh, that affects every human on the planet in terms of what uh, anytime you step on an aircraft and anytime you step on a vessel. Hmm. So there are a lot of different things that we do and we have to be right. 
think of this safety of navigation thing, you've had a GPS send you in the wrong direction, well, we can't do that, we can't afford that. So as we move forward, debt in all those three areas, how do we leverage what's emerging, apply it to our problems to ensure we have accurate delivery of the information to all those who need it for decisions and intelligence. That's interesting. I don't think uh, a lot of folks, certainly I didn't, probably a lot of folks in the audience that didn't realize that NGA had that open mission. Uh, speaking of an open mission that uh, is near and dear to everyone's heart, certainly in America and on the East Coast these days, is NOAA. Mm -hmm. uh, Frank, tell us what's going on in regards to machine learning, artificial intelligence. How is, it, how is this technology solving these problems and making sure that we're all staying safe? Mm -hmm. um, so I think the goal across the agency is to improve forecasting, improve warning systems that we have in place uh, for weather events, extreme events. Uh, but more broadly, uh, it's being applied across, across NOAA for a lot of a variety of, of, of problems that we face uh, from from in, in fisheries for species identification, so mm -hmm. managing uh, endangered species, and then more broadly, all the species we monitor in, in the marine uh, environment, uh, getting down from just not estimating population, but uh, identifying individual individuals within that population. So there, there's work uh, in, in the right role population to make sure that we know, you know individuals in the population so we can track them and make sure that we're wa watching monitoring the a, a species, species that just got identified. I don't know if that was you all that did or somebody that did oh, that. I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I don't know if that was us or, or another folks. But, but that's the kind of, um, and expanding on that, in the marine ecosystem, um, they tend to, we, we tend to model things on a species by species basis, but machine learning is, is helping us expand that. To, to model ecosystem interactions and give us a, f a full give give the public a fuller picture of that ecosystem. Right. And then on the forecast side, um, we're moving into machine learning uh, t to look at you know smaller events like hail size and hail distribution, uh, learning from what we have from observations and, and models in the storms, and giving giving a better or uh, an improved warning uh, system out to folks in affected areas by maximum hail size and spatial distribution of the hail. That'll that'll be falling, uh, and then improve forecasting in tropical events. So identifying areas where cycl uh, tropical cyclones will happen, and, and then all the way down to tornadoes. So right. improving the, improving the modeling and mission that's already happening, uh, and enhancing that through machine learning is, is kind of the direction that NOAA's going. Right, I mean, imagine that heavy-duty modeling is getting into some predictive uh, estimates of, mm -hmm. of those capabilities, too. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of modeling and uh, analyzing data, Tyler, I know Splunk does that in spades, and uh, let's hear about uh, what's going on in regards to Splunk in respect to uh, using this type of technology as it collects vast amounts of information uh, across the community, not only the federal community, but certainly in the private sector community as well. Sure. Uh, thank you, Luke. So, um, you know, we are primarily focused on, on machine-generated data, and so uh, we've been applying machine learning to that data for, in our products for years, and right now we're making big investments in two areas in um, enhancing those products to have built-in um, uh, build-in capabilities uh, using machine learning uh, to either predict or detect things that we couldn't uh, easily do in the past and also building out um, uh, more in features in our custom machine learning um, uh, area with our machine learning toolkit. So we're um, offering customers uh, the uh, pre-built solutions to rapidly see value and also offering them more capabilities if they have data science capabilities in-house. <coughs> Excuse me. 
to further build out uh, their own custom machine learning capabilities. Hmm, so interesting. So not only are you using the technology to provide sort of a uh, an outcome capability to them, but you're actually giving them a tool set that they can use. Right. Right. Uh, and, and you know, I see that. Interesting. Um, to be successful in data science, you know, you have to have the tools, you have to have the knowledge of, of data science, but you also have some domain expertise. And so for those areas where we already, um, where we uh, do a, a lot of work in IT operations and security, we can provide package solutions for that. But there are other areas where customers are already getting data and they want to take it the next step. We're providing the tool set so that they can take their domain expertise and apply mm -hmm. it to their data. Okay, interesting. Uh, Bob, how about at ServiceNow, you guys have a broad footprint out there. You're seeing a lot of information uh, that's getting more and more uh, uh, sophisticated, increasing as you guys broaden your scope, not only again in the federal market, but certainly in the private sector as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening at ServiceNow in regards to using machine learning and AI, et cetera. Well, good afternoon, Luke, and thanks a lot for hosting this exciting topic, right? Yeah. So we're all being conditioned to use uh, artificial intelligence in our daily lives, right? So we utilize intelligent agents every day, whether it be Alexis or Siri to help us make decisions and, and bring information from various data sources and present it to us so we can make decisions in our personal lives every day. That expectation is really being seen by federal agency employees internally and by citizens who are taking advantage of the output of the various agencies. So what we see at ServiceNow is really this blending of information uh, that's being presented to humans to be able to make the appropriate decisions. So we kind of look at AI from a different lens. There are a lot of focused technologies that are being applied within various lines of business. I mean, Frank, he's got a huge mission with NOAA, and Buzz is really doing cool stuff at NGA. We partner with our, our uh, partner companies like Splunk and Tyler talked about what they're doing on the platform. We, we look at it as practical AI. How do we bring in machine learning and the ability to augment human decision making to make our, our way that we do work much better today than we have in the past? Right, and I would imagine that, uh, you know, uh, NOAA, NGA, and certainly uh, John over at ODNI, that you guys are, you know, um, doing this at scale, right? I mean, the scale and the capacity is just absolutely phenomenal. So tell us a little bit about uh, how that activity is going over at uh, ODNI in respect to, you know, where do they play the role as they coordinate across the intelligence community in respect to using this technology? Right, so I sit at IARPA, and we're a little bit different than other people at the table in that we're a basic research and development agency. Mm -hmm. uh, so our goal is to build some of the tech that some of these other folks will use. Um, and towards that end, we have lots of programs that we run, large multi-year uh, research and development efforts that make use of or focus explicitly on machine learning or artificial intelligence. So to provide a few examples, we have a program called Diva, uh, which is focused on action detection and video from multiple cameras. Um, this is things like someone picking something up or putting something down from uh, something like CCTV footage. Uh, we have a program called Microns, which is focused on brain science, neuroscience, um, and imaging the brain and the cortical network uh, to get a better idea of how the brain works and how humans learn to see if we can maybe apply that to machine learning or deep learning because uh, you know the main deep learning technique is neural networks neural as in the brain and that's really based on an outdated and antiquated notion of what the how the brain works from the 50s or 60s so microns is focusing on how can we 
learn some better lessons about the brain to apply to new ML techniques. And then the program that's nearest and dearest to my heart is my program uh, called Better uh, that focuses on, on how we can do uh, improved information extraction from unstructured text content to better do document triage and retrieval for an analyst. Um, so that's things on the IARP end, but at the broader ODNI level, there's also the AIM initiative, Augmenting Intelligence with Machines. Um, it's explicitly not artificial intelligence with machines. Um, mm -hmm. So because it's supposed to articulate that the end goal is to augment our human intelligence analysts, and how do we do that? A lot of that will be through ML and AI, but not exclusively. Uh, so at the broad ODNI level, we're trying to figure out how we can use some of these techniques to make our analysts better and improve the, the work that they do and augment uh, the great knowledge that a lot of our analysts have. Right, and I know there's a delicate balance, and it's a fine point there about uh, augmenting versus, you know, having a machine uh, make that decision. And, uh, you know, somebody said the other day, yeah, really what we're trying to do is get the machine out of the human so that they can, you know, continue to focus their attention on this higher order thinking, if you will. Uh, well, let's uh, ask you, Frank, at NOAA, can you give us a specific program that you guys are working on that you'd like to highlight, something that would be of interest to the community, uh, that you're using uh, this technology, whether it's machine learning, AI, all of the above, mm -hmm. and uh, so to, uh, to sort of exploit uh, the, the NOAA mission? Sure. Well, thanks. Um, so I think one of the, one of the programs that uh, has been successful in exploiting AI or, or machine learning, depending how you look at it, uh, is a program within our, the National Environmental Satellite and Data Information Service. Uh, so they've actually put set up a pilot program uh, to aid data assimilation, data assimilation of, of satellite data uh, and sensor data coming in. So that's the critical component in the forecast, right? So these become the initial conditions of all the models that go into forecast products. Uh, and they've been actually been able to reduce their compute time by an order of magnitude and, and preserve uh, correctness and full resolution of the data so they can deliver a product uh, in a, a, much, a much quicker time frame than they have been in the past. And they're, they're going to grow that capability out to improve the Fraction forecast of overall. The time and, and much higher yeah, order. And, and, and I know it's just sort of using mm -hmm. that data to mm -hmm. sort of, you know, feed the model mm -hmm. and making it much more predictable is a, a key part of this technology. And exploit the data, um, the full set of data that's that's available, right? right. So the, everybody, I think, at this table, maybe listening, knows that the, the, the more you look at a problem, the bigger it gets, right? So the more data that we have, the more we can exploit, but it's harder to kind of pull that all in. So that these are the kind of technologies that we can use to fully exploit the data that's available through sensors and satellite imagery and, and observations. because you know you're you're getting much more access to much more collected data, right? Because of you know Internet of Things and all these other activities that are going on. I saw there was 250,000 personal weather stations out there. I guess mm -hmm. they call them, which is incredible if you think about the the math on that. Uh, and, and 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 then there's a lot more computing capability to to compute this kind of cap uh, this this different types of. Uh, data that's being collected. Tyler, how about at Splunk? Tell us a, a specific example of some technology that's being exploited to, uh, to the greater good. Sure. Um, so uh, TransUnion is one of our uh, public examples right now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and they are using machine learning to detect. Uh, and TransUnion is what for those that may or may not know? 
Um, they are, they are uh, an entity, entity in the banking industry, right? Mm -hmm. So my, yeah. my public sector uh, references uh, yeah. aren't, aren't public right now. So, yeah, no, I um, understand. Um, the, um, and so they are working with uh, many of the large banks, and one of the things they're doing with machine learning is detecting um, uh, traffic patterns and applying machine learning to that. And so we can, you know, if you look at traffic patterns like you might see, you can think of it like uh, uh, traffic flow in a big city during rush hour, right? It's very predictable, right? And so um, being able to uh, model the traffic patterns um, and see when things fall outside of that can be an indication of an attack. Right, and that's one of the, the methods they're using. Um, we also have um, Hyatt Hotels using machine learning to detect the, um, um, the end user experience of their Wi-Fi. And we've all experienced uh, hotel Wi-Fi and how bad it can be. And they are applying machine learning to that problem um, and uh, detecting uh, a, a bad customer experience um, with ML and then automatically filing tickets with their service provider Wi-Fi so that they can greatly reduce the time to re uh, resolution on that. Fantastic. Uh, Buzz, how about at NGA? Can you give us a specific example of uh, where this technology is being used? Yeah, I sure can, Frank. Uh, so back to that, uh, our global uh, responsibility for safety of navigation. Mm -hmm. so we have a program called Notice to Mariners. Mm -hmm that uh, provides worldwide navigational updates to uh, hazards, objects, be they static or even dynamic. So when Fukushima exploded, there were floating debris within the Pacific Ocean. So there's a responsibility to make sure um, the flow of goods and services can go as well as the safety of, of people. Um, it's a small crew uh, working to try to sift through a global set of information. We've used various elements of AI to try to augment their um, back, augment their tasks, uh, sift and filter through data, and have now reduced that backlog from years to months, and then hopefully in the near time future, we'll bring that to a currency that drives the data to decision timeline to as close to zero as possible. Wow. Uh, the same thing will then be applied to our aeronautical uh, safety of navigation. So. Our goal is to ensure that the understanding of the world that we're responsible for is as timely as it can be. If I, if I could, I'd like to mention then a second aspect. Um, without giving away too much of our, our classified mission, we really feel compelled to educate the open community on what it's like to deal with our data and our domain. So partnering with the Defense Intelligence Unit, um, DIU, formerly DIUX, We've published a set of uh, unclassified data and a challenge out to the open community called the XView uh, data set, the XView challenge. So folks can come in thinking they're, they have potential solutions, look at examples of our data, examples of the classes or the objects that we're interested in, and see if they can actually contribute. So we're doing two things, trying to in educate the open community what's unique about us, uh, and what's unique is, imagine doing facial recognition for your iPhone, which is a great thing, you've got it, it, it works while it's one to two feet in front of you. Ask your friend to hold that at the zero line on a uh, football field and walk back in 10 yard increments and see how well that works. Well, the parallel is, imagine trying to do facial recognition from the 50 or opposite end goal line. That's our job.
Incredible. It's like a, uh, the X Prize for NGA, so to speak. Uh, very interesting projects on a very interesting topic and very interesting subject. We're going to take a short break. Uh, you're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Public sector organizations are feeling the pain of digital transformation. Even with monitoring, existing tools are ineffective at pinpointing issues because they do not offer end-to-end visibility. Splunk-sponsored research conducted by the Poneman Institute revealed that despite the rising complexity of IT, decision-makers see promise in DevOps to help achieve future mission success. To download the IT Modernization Report on challenges and trends in public sector IT operations, visit splunk.com slash IT Survey 2017. Service now. Changing the way people work and allowing agencies to keep pace with technology. From automated workflows to practical AI, our customers get the benefit of new technology on a platform ready for use. ServiceNow takes the risk out of commercial cloud adoption. With FedRAMP certified cloud, agencies experience unprecedented transparency and control over their data while reducing cost and complexity. ServiceNow, helping agencies reach their goals now and exceed them in the future. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. With me on today's show are Buzz Roberts, NGA. Frank Indiviglio at NOAA, Dr. John Beeler, ODNI, Bob Osborne, ServiceNow Federal, and Tyler Muth, Analytics and Architect at Splunk. We were talking about machine learning, we're talking about AI, we're talking about specific projects and programs, and uh, I'm going to throw it over to Splunk and ask you, Bob, about a specific project that you guys have been working on over there that uh, may be of interest to the community. Well, you know, Luke, it's really interesting because at ServiceNow, we've, we're seeing that, uh, you mentioned it previously, the Internet of Things is really important to folks as you look at bringing in data from a multitude of different sensors and inputs across the enterprise. And we're focusing on delivering enterprise solutions. We actually refer to it as the service-aware enterprise, and that's taking machine learning. I mean, we heard Tyler talk about it before the break, right? Is It's normalizing what... Uh, routine activities look like within the enterprise and then applying machine learning and, and artificial intelligence algorithms to be able to quickly identify anomalous behavior so that you really understand when something's happening in the enterprise and be able to respond to that in an automated very fast fashion. Sorry about that. I think I said Splunk in service now, and I know I called you Armstrong instead of Osborne, so I got you all bollocks up there, Bob. Sorry. Not a problem, Luke Skywalker. All right. <laughs> May the force be with you. All right. How about at ODNI? How are we doing down there in, in regards to specific projects and programs, perhaps one that you can talk about? Right. And I know you guys are probably working very heavily with InQtel on a lot of these activities as well, right? Right. Yeah. So do talk a fair amount with our colleagues at InQtel. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, InQtel's focus more on startup community um, and finished products where uh, I personally at IARPA, again, focus more on the basic R&D and hope to build out some of the tools that might be useful in the final products that uh, a startup would use to build, would build, right? So some of the techniques, the machine learning techniques that we're hoping to develop, you know, that trickles down in things like natural language processing or human language technology to then be incorporated into a startup's product. Um, additionally, 
again, since we're focusing on basic R&D, we don't have kind of nuts and bolts projects the way that some of the other people at the table do. Uh, but similar to what Buzz mentioned earlier about some of the public prize challenges, IARPA is also very big on uh, opening up to a non-traditional performer base. So we tend to run lots of public challenges. Um, we have lots on face ID, uh, facial recognition, and unconstrained settings, right? This is things other than mugshot photos. How can we identify faces? Um, a prize challenge that I run is the Mercury Challenge, which is uh, using open data, can we forecast uh, societal events, things like civil unrest or military activity. Mm -hmm. And again, these are open challenges. These aren't uh, funded efforts the way we tend to fund R&D. This is there's a prize purse associated with it. We release some data, and then we reach out to the hobbyist community, as we like to say, to see what solutions they can bring to the table. Yeah, it's incredible some of the stuff that's been going on with crowdsourcing, right? I mean, it's just phenomenal what's out there and available that, the, you know, sort of the brain power, and this gets back to the X prizes, right? So um, I'd always like to talk about lessons learned, and since you all, I would consider the early adopters of this technology and sort of working your way through this, and I think about things like acquisitions and skills and data bias and some of these things that we had mentioned earlier in the show. Let's start with you, Buzz, in regards to just sort of the, some of the lessons learned that you'd like to share with the community as they they're start to embark on this journey of adopting this technology that, uh, you know, things that they ought to be thinking about. Um, Luke, from my perspective, it goes back to those three debts, uh, and that is your technical debt, your domain debt, and your data debt. Clarity of objectives, absolutely the best thing to start with. What purpose are we trying to achieve? What are the factors involved in that purpose? What are the data elements and uh, sources that you're trying to advantage? How do they all interplay, and what are the best methods to solve that? In some cases, that may be machine learning. In other cases, it may not be. And don't walk in with a bias or a prejudice to any one method, any one source, uh, and that is an element of deliberate planning and focus that establishes all the successes that I've seen. Most of the failures have been when we rush to too quick a decision, too quick uh, an assumption that this solution will be uniformly applicable across all things. That's guided um, our achievements and our successes and it gets us to a common point of understanding. And then hopefully, as you have one success, you understand that approach method, the due diligence involved, you're not starting from square one the next time you try to solve that. So you're educating your workforce, your practitioner level, your scientists, your technologists, your operations research, and your end uh, customers and decision makers that you're trying to support. So in theory, you're growing the skill sets as you spend time getting clarity of objectives so that you can go faster and uh, increase your performance speed and agility over time. Yeah, I mean, you really do have to grow the skill sets. This is a, a green field, right? We're starting at zero here, so it's not like the, the world's got a, uh, a full army of data scientists, et cetera, out there. Um, uh, Tyler, how about it, Splunk? Tell us a little bit about you know some lessons learned as you guys embarked on this this technology early. It sounds like, and are uh, you know using it quite widely uh, internally within the federal service and externally. And just sort of you know what are you seeing out there, and perhaps what are you seeing across our community uh, that people are perhaps stumbling on, and you know ought to be pointed out. Sure, um, I'd love to echo the sentiment of. Um, start with a small and measurable problem, right? Um, and maybe pick a problem that's already been solved, not something that's unique to your agency. Um, 
pick something simple like measuring um, you know, uh, storage latency or measuring uh, uh, the end user experience of, of a web application. Um, so they're already, you already know the solution and, and, and build up your skills that way. Um, I would also say that operationalize, operationalizing machine learning is actually pretty difficult. Um, there are lots of tools out there to do post-mortem analysis and print off pretty pictures of it. But taking data streaming in real time and applying ML to it and taking action on that, really operationalizing, it's tough. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think um, thinking that through um, and, and figuring out how you how you want to operationalizing that, operationalize that, what outcome do you have, what action do you want to take, um, is is definitely one of the uh, the lessons learned in, in this process. Yeah, I would imagine that uh, you know starting with something simple is always uh, uh, important, and I would think that you know this, uh, even though it's a massive amount of technology, and typically need to use a lot of a lot of data to you know, to train these models, uh, you can still do that kind of a bite at a time, I would imagine that. Uh, Frank, how about over at uh, NOAA? Can you give us uh, some lessons learned? It sounds like you've been early on this journey mm -hmm. and certainly have uh, experienced some things that uh, you'd like to share with the audience. Oh, sure, so I think uh, it's not that too much different from what, what uh, Buzz had said and, and Tyler had said, uh, kind of starting small, uh, attacking the problem in a small, small scale, uh, and giving giving folks space to do that work, right? So within NOAA, we've we've set up a technology incubator program, which allows people to kind of start small, but it allows to scale up over a year, right? So you, you start with a very small problem, uh, and then it fosters a development path for not only to develop your idea for that problem, but to scale it out mm -hmm. into the realm of, for us, HPC, but for the broader application set, you know, how does it fit within NOAA? Um, within the, the you, you know the HPC community at NOAA. Our, our development time. HPC being high performance computing. So okay. HPC. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, our development time tends to, our development cycle anyway tends to have a long tail. Um, val validation of data, validation of models, validation of code, uh, and giving people space to start small and then grow that out into the larger community uh, seems to be working out for us. But I think that's a a measured and okay approach to, to getting new technologies into a very measured uh, modeling stream. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob, how about at ServiceNow? Uh, what are the lessons learned that you're seeing out there that you'd like to share with the community in respect to you know adopting this type of technology? Maybe some lessons learned that you guys have seen internally uh, at ServiceNow or uh, externally with the uh, your customers that are trying to embrace this capability. Sure, I think Buzz hit it right on the head. You need to really focus on what are the outcomes you're trying to uh, achieve by applying this new technology. You know, Luke, I don't know what your experience was when you were CIO, but when I was looking at a, a emerging technology, it was always a challenge for me to figure out which flavor would work in my environment, which one would achieve the outcome, and I'd usually have to do a big research project on that. Yeah. And, and then and you always have the beta, you know, exactly. VHS kind of th that, issues that you have right. to deal with as well, right? Exactly. Especially then on the early adoption. Correct. Mm -hmm. And then you have to acquire whatever the winner of that bake-off is, if you will, and then integrate it into your environment in order to actually get the outcomes you were looking for. 
When you're talking about specific applications around artificial intelligence, machine learning, for example, as Frank said, on high com uh, performance computing applications, that's a very narrow focused uh, capability that's being developed and it's really cool. And, but one thing that John mentioned previously that I think is really applicable to this is using this capability as a native platform uh, approach, Tyler mentioned it as well, in order to augment the ability of humans to make the correct decision and move from a reactive management style in the federal agencies into a proactive style where you're actually getting ahead of problems, you're, you're solving issues before they actually become problems, and when you talk about cybersecurity, this is a critical defense mechanism that we can take advantage of with this technology. I think it's one of the, the, the most core and relevant areas to sort of the, the common civilian government uh, agencies at large, right, to do some of that predictive nature. Um, uh, John, how about over at ODNI in regards to lessons learned? I'm sure that you guys are taking a lot of this stuff, you're putting it in the lab, you're incubating it, you're porting it out into, uh, uh, into the community, and what, what are you experiencing there in regards to uh, adoption, et cetera? Right, so a couple lessons learned. One is, I think, a common thread across everyone that data is the fuel that makes this uh, system work. Um, and specifically in the community, our data is a little bit different. Buzz mentioned this earlier, um, but the intelligence problem is different, right? We're interested in kind of the long tail of things that aren't what the large uh, ML providers that you would think of are yeah. focused on, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of stuff we can't pick it up off the shelf because uh, we're not really interested in classifying cats versus dogs, right? Our problem's different, our data's different. Um, so we have some issues there where we have to create some uh, data for these applications uh, that doesn't readily exist off the shelf. Um, and then kind of feeding into this as well, we have lower fault tolerances, right? We, we're very focused on artificial intelligence assurance, artificial intelligence security. Um, and this is things like uh, people have probably seen, the New York Times has written about things like adversarial examples, where if I have a picture of a panda, I add some pixel noise to that image of a panda and it misclassifies it as a gibbon, right? Um, and you can do this a few ways. You can do it just where you lower the accuracy of a classifier overall, or you can do targeted misclassification. So there are ways to manipulate these classifiers if you're an adversary uh, that we are very concerned with um, and again if you're Google you're less concerned with this when you're sitting in our shoes you're more concerned with this so this is an area that is very foundational machine learning theory that we're worried about uh, right. but the science doesn't really exist for it yet so we're exploring that frontier of AI assurance and AI security as well right right and uh, yeah well that's a, a good dovetail into the uh, the challenges that we're all seeing here right in regards to the adoption of this type of technology. Let me start with you, Tyler, over at Splunk. Uh, what are the challenges that you guys are experiencing there uh, that uh, are um, you know, barriers to full adoption of this capability, perhaps? Sure, I, I think it, what I see with a lot of our customers is it comes down to finding uh, the right people internally to solve the problem. Um, and um, you know, I, I suspect there's gonna be a, a huge uptick in data science on, on resumes and things like that. And it's, you know, cutting through that, finding the people that actually know, finding the people that know um, data science and the specific problem you're try trying to solve is, is very challenging. Um, uh, and so for us, um, you know, I, I, I see that challenge um, uh, where we're trying to build out the capabilities in our products to solve the, 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 product, the problems that we're really good at. Um, uh, so that uh, you don't have to have that data science knowledge um, for every problem. 
Um, but you know, again, I think I think being able to define the problem and being able to have the right prop people to attack the problem is is one of the biggest challenges I yeah, see. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there are a lot of articles written out there about the skills and sort of what makes the right kind of background to sort of you know teach a data scientist uh, how to become a data scientist, right? 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 They right. don't. They're, they're not born with that capability. Right. You, know, how you, about you may know the math, but um, you know if you're looking at uh, some of the more sophisticated sophisticated attacks like WannaCry or whatever that actually have algorithms behind them. You have to know the specifics of that and, and, and know um, what uh, what's your target um, to be able to, to tackle that problem. Sure. How about at NGA? I'm sure you've got a lot of lessons learned over there, Buzz, in regards to uh, adoption of this capability. We do, and it really centers on uh, what everyone has talked about before. So specifically, and I'll repeat myself a little bit, that clarity of objective to then align to if you have your simplistic problem that you're beginning with. We've learned lessons on the quality of the data to train networks, neural nets uh, specifically, to look at the kinds of signatures, uh, so in text mining. Uh, from a data mining, from a natural language processing perspective, there's a lot of precision. Uh, there are domain differences uh, in terms of what we think of accuracy, to back to that safety of navigation, versus a generalization, hey, it's accurate enough that from a commercial perspective it's in this region or it's in this state. Um, and every domain is different. So clarity of objectives, setting things up, and being willing to do two simple things, and they're not simple. Iterate and investigate your problem, make changes when and where you need to, and to have the strategic patience to continue to pursue and, and understand things. If we don't achieve a result for a certain period of time, it doesn't mean you're not growing, it doesn't mean you're not learning, it means that you haven't yet gotten to your result. You're continuously improving. Sometimes we've seen early efforts uh, not achieve a result and, and they get turned off when in fact you're progressing and raising the state of the art, they're raising your experience and expertise level, and you're benefiting overall. How about the skills? Um, any uh, challenges in that area as so, far as developing the skills or anything that you can talk about? Yeah, here absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I've had, I have the privilege of leading a group of individuals with a lot of um, varieties of experience and expertise. Uh, we've had a large brain drain of experienced individuals. I've been in the community for 36 years. Mm -hmm. Many of my peers have gone uh, for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And a lot of very well-meaning, highly experienced, very technical people have come in. There is a learning curve to understand the domain, understand the data, understand the mission and how to apply. That, in my estimation, is not something that is commonly understood. So taking, as, as Tyler talked about, take a fresh data scientist and be able to turn them on to a specific problem isn't understanding the science, it's understanding the science, the mission, the domain, the realities, the data, mm -hmm. and that entirety takes, takes a good amount of time. Very, very sophisticated challenges on a very sophisticated technology. Well, we're going to take a short break here. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.
Public sector organizations are feeling the pain of digital transformation. Even with monitoring, existing tools are ineffective at pinpointing issues because they do not offer end-to-end visibility. Splunk-sponsored research conducted by the Poneman Institute revealed that despite the rising complexity of IT, decision-makers see promise in DevOps to help achieve future mission success. To download the IT Modernization Report on challenges and trends in public sector IT operations, visit splunk.com slash ITSurvey2017. ServiceNow, changing the way people work and allowing agencies to keep pace with technology. From automated workflows to practical AI, our customers get the benefit of new technology on a platform ready for use. ServiceNow takes the risk out of commercial cloud adoption. With FedRAMP certified cloud, agencies experience unprecedented transparency and control over their data while reducing cost and complexity. ServiceNow, helping agencies reach their goals now and exceed them in the future. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. With me on today's show are Buzz Roberts with the NGA, Frank Indiviglio with NOAA, Dr. John Beeler with ODNI, Bob Osborne with ServiceNow, and Tyler Muth with Splunk. Uh, we were talking about challenges, and I uh, wanted to go over to you, Bob, at ServiceNow and talk about the challenges that you're experiencing, maybe the challenges you're seeing internally within ServiceNow, and then perhaps the challenges that you're seeing agencies as they try to adopt this technology. Well, thanks. You know, Luke, we really have uh, a challenge when you talk about data normalization. So in order to allow the technologies and and the algorithms associated with the machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence technologies, we have to be able to have data sets that are aligned and and normalized for those scripts to actually run on. And I think Tyler really hit it on the head. You know, being able to do a lot of pre-work and setting up the data so that it's uh, ready to be... uh, crunched, if you will, uh, by the algorithms is all good if you're doing analytics, deep analytics on specific subjects for research type efforts. But when you're talking about data streams in real time in order to respond to events that are happening in the enterprise, that's a different way to look at the problem. So you have to normalize the data and have it in a common uh, data store, if you will, a a configuration management database in our case, uh, so that you can run those scripts on it so that you can take action. I mentioned previously anomalous behavior being an example. Uh, in near real time so that you understand what's happening in your environment. That's a different approach to applying the technology. It's something not all agencies have really wrapped their heads around yet, and it's a significant challenge going forward when you look at applying this to a real-world set of data in real time. Yeah, and I would imagine, you know, the challenges of unpredictable, unstructured, uh, type data uh, is all over NOAA for sure, uh, across the oceans, uh, et cetera. So, Frank, tell us about some challenges. I'm sure data is one of them uh, that uh, you are experiencing uh, as you start to adopt this capability. Sure. Uh, I think uh, our challenges aren't very different from the ones we've been discussing here, uh, specifically around the, the, the human talent part. Um, f- for us, we're kind of dealing with three different topics or subject matter experts, right? We have the science experts, which we need computer science folks to, to tune and, and, and translate that into algorithmic and models. Uh, and then now the data science folks to come in and kind of be data stewards and, 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 and build a platform that we can get knowledge out of. Um, those folks are hard to find by themselves. Uh, it's even harder to fuse those talents together for your specific domain. 
Um, so finding and growing that, that talent pool within the agency, within the contracting force around the agency is, is a challenge for us. I think it's, it's a challenge in general for most of us, but around this area it'll be a little bit a little bit more of a stretch uh, to, to get another discipline in there and, and working alongside the science and computer science folks. Right, and then just trying to sort of organically uh, incubate that mm -hmm. kind of capability versus trying to acquire it. And I know, uh, you know, a lot of these agencies end up poaching their technology uh, technologists and skill sets from each other mm -hmm. a lot of times, and then and then you're you're dealing with uh, you know the the competition of the private sector who is also uh, exactly. in the mix there, right? Yeah, uh, and, and and making these things available available and understandable to all three of those. Sure. Kind of group, right. So everybody sees the world a little differently, uh, and making the ramp to entry for all three is is a challenge in itself. Right, mm -hmm. Dr. Mueller. How about over at ODNI? I'm sure there is a plethora of challenges that you could highlight for us. Yeah. So uh, coming back again to the data, a little bit yeah. of a broken record, but you know, there's policy considerations around sharing data within the community. Um, there's considerations about how we tag things for you know, access to make sure the right people are looking at the right data, but also tagging it to train some of the algorithms that we've been talking about today. Uh, so there's that consideration. We have to be careful about how we tackle these uh, things in terms of training data and training these algorithms. But the second is um, cultural considerations, right? Um, and engendering trust in these algorithms. Uh, because these are, you know, speaking to neural nets specifically, they're black boxes, right? Um, and we're dropping these on analysts saying, you know, here's some probabilistic out output based on lots of training data uh, that's lots of nonlinear transforms inside of it. Now trust what this algorithm tells you. Um, and kind of this goes into explainable artificial intelligence, this goes into other methods of engendering trust, but really making it to where, again, going back to the idea of augmenting the intelligence analyst, um, making sure that this human-machine pairing uh, can work well is something that is non-obvious and isn't, again, going back to the idea of commercial partners, isn't something that lots of commercial partners have to tackle in their day-to-day -day workflow where we're trying to very closely marry human-machine teaming. Right, and I know there's a delicate balance too with data bias and sort of just trying to, you know, sort of uh, stay neutral in that regard so the models are pure and accurate and, and uh, give you the type of outcome that you want. <clears throat> well, we love to talk about uh, the future and end up uh, with the uh, uh, with the, the show with talking about the future and sort of predictable. What does that look like out there a year or 18 months from now? We're going to start with you again. Uh, at ODNI and just give us a, you know, sort of a, a, a lay of the land in the future in regards to, uh, you guys are sort of in the future right now. What does that look like in regards to ODNI's concern? Right, so speaking kind of greenfield research, uh, take the liberty to quote uh, Sue Gore and our principal deputy director of national intelligence where she said, if it's noble and it is important, then we know it. Uh, so that's really what we're gunning for with the ML AI uh, marriage with the intelligence analyst. Uh, so my dream is to basically be able to know what an analyst information needs are, sift across multiple data silos, and then rack and stack the information and present it to an analyst and present the most relevant information to an analyst in real time or near real time. So that way, if, we, if it's knowable and we know it, and it's important, then we get it to the analyst in a timely fashion. So that's really what all this, you know, the fundamental R&D that we fund at IARPA, the work that I think people like Buzz and others in the community are working on, um, that's really what this is all gunning towards. That's, that's just, uh, uh, that's awesome. Bob, how about at ServiceNow? What does the future look like? 
So it's a really interesting crystal ball type of a question. But, you know, we really are looking at uh, addressing the people part of people process and technology. When you look into the future and how this type of technology and future technologies are going to impact people in the workplace, we see fear right now. So a lot of people, lot when of you say AI, right, yeah. they're thinking of a, a sentient being, a Terminator that's going to turn yeah. on us and kill us all. Well, and they're also thinking about their own jobs and exactly their livelihood. Right. There's that going on too, right? And the NGA experience that and others. Exactly right. So that fear of losing their job is what we've really been looking at. And, and John mentioned it previously at this blended workplace. And that's really what we see in the future. The ability for humans and the uniquely human uh, decision-making processes to be augmented by machines, by machine learning and artificial intelligence. And we, we really look at that type of an environment as, as it grows and it matures, uh, impacting the policies that are going to be put in place by federal agencies moving forward. You know there's a term, you've dealt with it as I, and all of our colleagues here have, that inherently governmental functions, those functions that must be performed by federal officials. In this new environment, we see that there's going to have to be a new definition. That's inherently human activities. Those activities that are reserved for a human decision maker, augmented by machines, but made by people. Inherently governmental and uh, pending agency approval. Those are two terms that you know just stick in my head. Uh, very good points raised by you, Bob. How about over at Splunk? Uh, Tyler, tell us about, you know, sort of what, what does the future look? You guys are right in the middle of a lot of this analysis that's going on. You're collecting a lot of this data. What's that look like? What does sure. that product set look like? You sure. want to give us a roadmap out here, you know, uh, maybe a press release? Or I can't do any yeah. press releases or roadmaps, <laughs> but, uh, but I can paint a, 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 broad, uh, a broad picture of the future. Um, first, I'd say that in the future it's going to be easier than it is today. A lot of things that people are doing in a custom fashion there, uh, are... Um, uh, are going to be built into the product and a lot of what our customers are doing are driving our product um, and so uh, it is going to be a lot easier and, that, and that's going to come in the very near future. Um, it's going to be a lot less code and a lot more push button. Um, and the second thing is time. Um, a, a lot of what we're focused on is time. Uh, being able to predict things in the future, uh, being able to predict an outage before it happens, being able to reduce the mean time to recovery. So, you know, IT systems are complex. They're made up of all these components. And when things go south, you end up in a, a war room like this with a lot of finger pointing. Um, and we're using algorithms to uh, more accurately figure out the cause of, of either an outage or something that's leading up to an outage ahead of time. Um, detecting unknown attacks. Um, before uh, they uh, before they penetrate all the way into your IT systems, um, and also to be able to forecast, um, maybe that's uh, resource utilization, so you can better plan for your budget in the in the coming year. So all these things are about time, um, and it's going to be a lot easier uh, than you think it is. Yeah, I would imagine that one of the biggest areas for uh, the vendor community in particular is is offering the ability to be much more accurate and predictable, anticipate. You know, as you're you know again training these models. Right, and some of this regression, uh, the ability to then predict some of these capabilities, particularly in the security area, sure. I mean, it's just got to be a slam dunk, right? I mean, I think we're all waiting for that day, right, where we can take some of that de-risk and take it off the table. Frank, how about it, Noah? Um, uh, what does the future look like there in regards to machine learning and artificial intelligence and our ability to get way down in the ocean and see things and understand things that we have no idea of today. So I think I think that you know 
in the short term and the long term future. It, it'll move from more of the data analytics or, or data preparation phases into augmenting the forecasting, right? So looking at ways to use machine learning to kind of test out our, our, our theories about uncertainty and parameterization models, um, expand the modeling the modeling set now to, to, to explore higher resolutions for, for really tough computational problems like cloud resolution uh, within a, a global model, which is computationally expensive and it, it's a little bit out of our reach now. I think the machine learning will pull that back in. Uh, and then better forecasting ability, right? So we're, we're looking at ways for pattern recognition and feature detection and the data sets we have, and that'll that'll help with cyclone detection and, and uh, El Nino and the Southern Oscillation process, which is a, which drive uh, the atmospheric process that we model. So. Right, and I would imagine that then gets cranked into the weather service, right, mm -hmm. to to really. Uh, put a fine point, and uh, the accuracy is, is just, if you look over the last 10 years, it's just incredible what's going on. I know there's this wrestling match with the, uh, the USA model versus the European yep. model, <laughs> et cetera, but I think competition is what made this country great, and mm -hmm. I think it's fantastic that you know we're able to, 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 to pull all this type of data in and uh, and be able to make very accurate forecasts, mm -hmm. which are saving a lot of lives, yep. right? I mean, let's face it. And it's all, it, it's all about you know responding getting warnings out and making sure public's aware and re responding to extreme events. And not only augmenting, I mean, Bob mentioned augmenting people, but you're also augmenting the, the modeling suite so that you're making better predictions. Right, right. Uh, Buzz, how about over at NGA? Uh, what, what does the future look like in regards to all this imagery data? We were talking yesterday about the, just the, the literally hundreds and thousands of, you know, micro satellites that are being, you know, thrown up in the air. And I know you all, uh, uh, get a lot of that data from uh, obviously from the the federal launches, but there's a lot of private satellites out there as well that I understand that NGA takes a lot of that data in as well. So, what's the future look like as we have this sort of constellation of satellites out there collecting all this information in a very sophisticated manner? Well, th yeah. thanks for the question, Luke, and the opportunity. Um, our vision is to advantage what uh, we refer to as the global GUN enterprise. Uh, so again, as an IC organization, it's uh, it's a bit um, under underrepresented that we actually do have that open, unclassified mission set, and we're partnered globally, and we're partnered with the open community more than most. So how can, our vision is to leverage everyone's expertise, everyone's experience, bring that together through the things I've mentioned: clarity of objective, bringing people who understand the data who understand the principles and the science and who can help us transition from a chiefly human-oriented enterprise to uh, shifting that so we can raise our analyst expertise from the, uh, from the mundane and rote activities to what really is challenging for the human brain and the right approach to take advantage of. Fundamentally, that crystallizes the data to decision timeline which, quite frankly, based upon the mismatch of data, pixel to pupil ratio, as we like to refer to it, is overwhelmingly deluge of data to the, the few eyeballs and experience that we have, and shift that to discovering the data, discovering what's knowable in the data, not necessarily uh, in the raw pixel information. That involves fundamentally focusing on, and I heard the term uh, used, but real-world AI. And real-world AI is, again, focused on clarity of objectives, clarity of understanding, 
raising your experience and expertise base as we move forward. One challenge, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to, to highlight is that's going to shift us all from thinking about products and services to thinking about knowledge and how do you procure knowledge, how do you incentivize knowledge, how do you sustain knowledge. That's different than the classic, I want to buy a product and then use it. When the ecosystem of what happens on the earth changes daily, buying a product to look at that ecosystem is out of date once you've received it. So how do we, how do we get into that rapid adaptation and flexibility? That's informed by, I would argue, clarity of objectives and understanding the domain that you have to actually action. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, what, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, I can't, I've lost count, I was at Ford Aerospace and we were putting birds up in the air and we were thrilled at a meter, right? And now you have these micro satellites out there that are not only taking imagery, but also, you know, uh, taking um, all kinds of other sensor information and being able to, to sift that up and process it. I find it refreshing that we had a conversation over the period of an hour here and not a lot of conversation about technology and the technology itself needed uh, to actually process this capability, et cetera. I'd like to just spend a minute and talk about uh, sort of the acquisition community, if you will, and the, the acquiring of this technology. And is that a barrier? Is that a challenge? Is that something that you guys are dealing with in regards to getting access to this type of um, computing to be able to, to do the things that you need to do in machine learning and, and uh, AI? Let's start with you at NOAA, uh, Frank. Just, just any sense there of, of uh, any challenges? We got a, about a minute and a half here. I just want to do a little turbo round. And well, yeah, so I, th yes, I think, no. uh, well, so <laughs> for us, I think, access to computing and, and, and having the right amount of computing is the answer is always never enough. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're further, there's further complications in the market, right? We have new technologies out there uh, that that may or may not work well within our application set and we have to go out and do the investigation uh, and how do we incorporate these different things. So I think we're used to, you know, this big monolithic thing and then how do we incorporate different types of processors for machine learning for data acquisition, things like that. Yeah, so, and it's sort of it. GPUs by the drink, and I yeah. think about yeah. things like quantum and when that becomes available and mm -hmm. sort of the, the gateway that's going to open up. And uh, for, to the degree that you can talk about it at NGA or perhaps at ODNI, any barriers there as far as accessing the type of technology that you need to... Yeah, we got about uh, 15 seconds, so just so let me let me throw it over to Odie and I to wrap it up here. Uh, yes, no, plenty of technology, no, you're developing get, it. No, because I get to fund uh, yeah. people developing the technology, so that's my acquisition, is uh, funding the basic R&D and hopefully be able to punt that over to people like Buzz and others at, within the community to then use. Uh, so no, luckily I don't have to buy uh, AI solutions. Uh, I fund the basic R&D, so maybe Buzz can so um, John's right, he's funding it. I have to prove how much we need. So to your comment on quantum, how much quantum do you need? I need practical experience, uh, evidence and data to prove and be able to support my budget estimates without being able to take some pilots, take some activities, 
it's difficult to prove that. And we've got our five-year budget cycle. So how do you forecast what you need in the future? You have to have experience and evidence by doing it today. We've talked a little bit about that. That's, I think, our biggest challenge. How much do you need in the future when we have to forecast sure. two, three, four, sure. five years down the road? Well, perhaps that's a topic that we'll discuss more in length at a, a different time. But we're going to have to wrap it up. I'd like to thank today's guests for taking the time from their busy schedules to join us for this program. I'd like to thank our sponsors for Without We Don't Have a Show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Radio that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there, that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Thank you for listening to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, proudly celebrating 13 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsradio.com.